0: you would open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 12. It's good to see you this morning. That song, Sovereign, is kind of the capstone of this series. I pray that that as we have been going through the first 12 now chapters of Exodus, that you have instilled into your heart that not only... The fact that only God can rescue and redeem, but only God can rescue and redeem because only God is sovereign. I pray that, that so far through this series that you have been able to view life and the things that, that are encompassing your life through the lens of not just what we see, but that which God is, is seeking to accomplish in your life because that's where where the rubber meets the road in in all of this is your perspective being pointed to god as uh don read the passage this morning you probably noticed there's a lot in this chapter there's a lot to cover we're gonna we're not gonna be able to cover uh every little thing that we could this morning But we are going to be looking at this first half of Exodus 12. And what I'm entitling the message today is the Gospel of the Exodus. It is in this chapter that we begin to really see the seeds of the Gospel forming in the Scriptures. If you remember at the end of chapter 10 in verse 28... The die had been cast in Pharaoh's heart. He says that he's no longer gonna, gonna entertain Moses's presence before him. He's no longer wants to hear this familiar request from Moses let my people go. That's he's had it. And then Moses then declares to a fully hardened. Heart that Pharaoh possesses, what God would do to finally and ultimately release his people, we read in chapter 11. That God would go through the land of Egypt and all of the firstborn would die. And now we come to chapter 12 of, of, this, of this Exodus narrative, of this Exodus story, and it begins to reach a crescendo. It begins to show us where everything that we have read before, how it is now taking form and shape, and finally it's going to happen. Because God's holy presence was now going to come down throughout the land of Of Egypt and the people in order to be spared from the holy presence of God in the land of Egypt to be spared from his holy wrath and his judgment there had to be a substitution that would take place there had to be a protection a barrier between sinners and a holy God You see, the seed of the gospel that was planted in Genesis 3 that a redeemer would come, we start to see shoots of that seed blossoming in Exodus 12. God is about to do something. And it's easy if we lose sight of this overall picture of what God has promised to do both before we get to Exodus 12 and what he has done after we get to Exodus 12. It's easy to get lost in details because there's a lot of, of, of talk of feasts of unleavened bread and, and getting rid of leaven in your house. And it's easy to lose sight of what this passage is telling us. I I like what one uh, commentator says. Uh, This will be on the overhead. Um, You can read along with me. He says, The drama of the departure from Egypt gives way to what seems like a liturgical interlude. But this is much more than an aside or an intrusion of legal, ritualistic mumbo-jumbo. It is the institution of a powerful, everlasting observance whereby God's love for His people Israel will be remembered, indeed reenacted until the end of time. These verses go into considerable detail concerning the Passover meal and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the week-long festival that follows Passover after the Israelites have settled in. The land. Folks, I would submit to you, like what we just read, that this passage of Scripture is of such utmost importance to us on so many levels that if we skip past this, we are doing ourselves a great disservice. You see, again, we see in this passage the beginnings, the hints, of the gospel message being played out for us. And this morning, we're going to look at glimpses of the gospel from Exodus 12. Glimpses of the gospel of what God has done for His people, and also glimpses of the gospel of how we are to live purposefully in the light of the gospel that Jesus has bestowed upon all of us. And we do all of this under the umbrella of the glorious theme that we have been studying for these months that only God can rescue and redeem. Let's say that together. Only God can rescue and redeem. Are you thankful for that redemption this morning? Let's pray. Father, we ask You to speak to our hearts. God, would You renew our perspectives. Father, where the cares and concerns of this world have fogged up our glasses so that we no longer are beholding the beauty and the reality of Jesus for us, We are no longer living that out with the same clarity that we once did. Father, would the Holy Spirit come and unfog those lenses? Would we, starting as we leave the doors of this auditorium, be renewed to live purposefully in response to God for us? Lord, would we see that what we, what we read in, in Exodus 12 and, and the, d- the deliverance that you are giving your people, God, it is but a picture of the greater deliverance that Jesus has purchased for us. God, open our eyes this morning. Would you work past the barriers that we have erected in our hearts? Lord, would the seeds of the gospel go and be implanted upon our hearts, our ears, our minds. In Jesus' name, Amen. This morning we are going to look at several glimpses of the gospel, both in coming to the gospel for the first time and returning to the reality of the gospel in our Christian lives over and over again. And I want to just start reading in verse 1, and we're going to read to verse 6, and then we're going to talk about this first section. But follow along with me. If you are using a black Bible that's provided for you in your chair, I'm on page 53, um, towards the beginning of the Bible. I want everyone to look along. It says, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. And you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. You know, the first glimpse of the gospel that we get from Exodus 12, yes, an Old Testament passage, the first glimpse of the gospel that we receive is that God's work on behalf of his people in Egypt was to give them a new perspective. Another way to say this is what God was doing for His people was going to literally give them a new beginning. A beginning which they did not have before. This beginning we see in verses 1-2 to has to do with a new identity. They were no longer to be thinking the same way. As a result of what God said he was about to do for his people. This event was to define Israel so much that he would, God was literally changing the calendar for the sake of his people. It says in verse 1 that the Lord says this to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt. The the interesting thing here is the people were still in the land of Egypt. This is still a going forward by faith because it had not occurred yet. But God says, because of what I am about to do in verse 2, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. Folks, you know what this tells us? This isn't just some historical fact to know about uh, the the, the dates and the months that the Hebrew people uh, in in antiquity considered uh, was their first month. No, this shows us that because of the deliverance God was going to do for His people in slavery from the land of Egypt, removing them from the land, that they were to, to reorient themselves to a new standard of thinking a new standard of living, a new standard of operating. In other words, the very way they ordered their lives throughout the year was now to be marked not by society, not by pagan culture. It was to literally be marked by their redemption. They're being made officially the people of God. I mean, doesn't that speak volumes to us this morning? Are we living our lives according to what society says? Uh, The schedules and the pace of life that culture is living the values and the goals that we often see among our coworkers Have we allowed that way of thinking and living and operated, operating to fill our lives? Folks, here in verse 1 and 2, God says, I am giving you as my people a new beginning. You are to be living in light of what I have done for you. Not what any outside culture tells you. Some theologians say the Canaanites' new year started in the fall. This exodus from Egypt would have happened in the spring. So now, while the pagan nations around them would celebrate the new year in the fall, and up to this point, the the Hebrew people living in Egypt did as well, now their new year would start in the spring. As one individual says, this point brings it home, the deliverance from Egypt is a new beginning from Israel. From now on, every glance at the calendar will remind them of this fact. It also provides a connection to Genesis and creation. At the Exodus, God's people are being recreated. They are starting over with a fresh slate. Folks, that is what happens to us at redemption when Christ has delivered us from the slavery of sin to freedom and righteousness. That we are new creations. Folks, I wonder if every day of our lives, we look at that calendar, so to speak, and we are living forgetful of the very identity that we are to possess and to live according to, and we're living to a different identity. We're marching to a different drumbeat, and you're sitting here, you're, you are, are so overwhelmed... Because you have put upon yourself a burden that you have not been meant to carry. We live our very lives now because of salvation through Jesus according to a new identity. And if we are not living, if you are truly a believer and you're not living according to that identity, then you are going to be the most miserable person in the world. Because at least an unbeliever can truly live according to their identity and not have a duplicity. But if we are living one way, we are called to be another way, we are going to be on, at our wits end. But we also see that this new beginning for God's people not only involved in identity change, this new beginning involved a great deliverance. You see, without deliverance, there would be no reality of verse 2 taking place. So God then says, He starts with the big picture, and He says, because of what I am going to do, this is going to be how you start to think and operate and conduct yourselves a completely new way. Now, let's back up and here is how your redemption is going to take place. Verses 3 and 4 show us that there is a necessity of a lamb. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And then notice how detailed this gets in verse 4. If the household is too small for a lamb, in other words, they can't eat a whole lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each of you can eat, uh, you shall make your account for the lamb. The necessity of the lamb here involves that each and every person must be accounted for with the sacrificial lamb that is provided. No one could be left out. If anyone was left outside of this lamb and the covering that it provides, then they would be exposed to the judgment of God. We also see here that while everyone must be accounted for, there would be no one too small or too great that God would overlook. It doesn't matter if your family is small. It doesn't matter if your family is large. Everyone must partake of this lamb. Then I want to note, you to notice another thing in these two verses. The people must all come together. In verse 3, you see that word congregation. This is the first time that this word is used to describe God's people it's used all over the place throughout the rest of the Old Testament but you say why do you bring that out I bring that out because God has been fulfilling as we've talked about in Exodus the the reality he promises Abraham that the people are gonna be fruitful and multiply because of what God is doing in redeeming his people they are going to become God's people as a community And this is the first time that this word is used, showing us that something new is happening. The people are not just going to be uh, the children of Israel. They are going to be a congregation. They are a community. And they are to provide for one another. If a family can't eat a whole lamb, then they join up with another family. What is the glue that binds this community it is the work of God through the sacrifice that He is providing. Folks, the bond that we have as the community of God, it is not a bond that somehow comes about because we like the same things, or we live the same lifestyles, or we, we have the same uh, economic standing with one another. We are bound together by the Lamb, aren't we? We, and in that binding, we become a true community that has its source in Jesus Christ. There is no one that is a part of Jesus Christ that should feel, well, somehow I'm the outcast. Somehow I don't measure up. Because it is the Lamb that binds us. But then we talk about how crucial if this lamb is of such necessity that every single individual, every single household must be accounted for by partaking of this lamb. We better know more about this lamb, shouldn't we? Look at what verse 5 and 6 say. "'Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats.'" You shall keep it until the 14th day of this month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. See folks, deliverance was by necessity of the lamb, but deliverance would only be accomplished through the perfection and the preparedness of the lamb. So not just any lamb will do, it's not just a haphazard, okay, I'm going to go out to the flock and hurry up and just grab one. It's not a matter, I'm just going to go out to the flock and get the one that's the, the, the most straggly, the one that's the, the skinniest, the one that is going to not really cost me that much. See, this word without blemish and without default, it has the idea of a whole, a perfect, a a, a lamb that is complete. In other words, there's not any defects that would make that lamb not be complete, whole. And it's so interesting that this word without blemish, it's used many times in Leviticus that the sacrifices that, that the people were to offer to God would be without blemish. But folks, we see a picture of the gospel here because this very word, without blemish, also deals with without blemish in a moral sense. Did you know the first two times this word is used? The first time it's used in Genesis 6-9, that Noah was a righteous man. The second time it's used is in Genesis 17 where God tells Abraham, I want you to walk before me and be blameless. So not only do we have this word full of meaning that that this lamb was to be perfect or complete from a physical aspect, but we also see hints that whatever this ultimate deliverance, whenever it would come, from whoever it was that was that promise of Genesis 3.15, it would, have to not, it would have to be ultimately of a moral blamelessness, a perfection that none of us have. This passage again points us to Jesus. Like one theologian said, it's not that having a chipped ear... It's not that that having a lamb that was spotted or off-colored that was physically with blemish, it's not that the meat's going to taste any different, is it, at this Passover? That's not why Jesus says, pick a lamb without blemish. He is pointing the people to a greater reality. That as God is perfect, so He requires perfection. Perfection. How many times uh, in my life, and I think how many times probably in your life too, do you find yourself falling short of that righteous standard that God lays out for us? Folks, during those times of imperfection, do you look to the perfection of the Lamb that was perfect on your behalf and just praise Jesus for that? You see, I think so many times in our Christian life, we are living trying to somehow be that perfect one. And because we cannot, that doesn't draw us closer to Christ. That moves us farther away from Him. And that's all wrong. Because just as God would provide the way for Israel's deliverance, so He has done ultimately and finally and completely through the deliverance of Jesus. Amen? We see the first glimpse of the gospel in this passage in the fact that God has given His people a new perspective, a new beginning. And in that new beginning, we are given a new identity and we are given a complete deliverance. But I want to move on and see a second glimpse of the gospel. A second glimpse of the gospel because of God's work on behalf of His people. He has made sure to bring about a preserved people. God is not going to renege upon His promises. He is not going to somehow fall through on providing deliverance. No, the very deliverance that he uh, calls the people to observe through this lamb, he would preserve his people by it. You see, verse 7 shows us that the people were preserved by the blood of the lamb. It says, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lentil of the houses in which they eat. You see a picture um, of this uh, scene where the lamb would be sacrificed, the blood would be applied to the sides of the doorposts and over the top. This blood would, would cover the families that were in those houses. Not only is this a significance that, that this was a sign that the Israel people, the Israelites, were God's covenant people. Because we see blood portrayed throughout the Bible. Genesis. uh, uh, After the promise of Genesis 3.15 that a deliverance would come, God slays an animal, covers Adam and Eve with their skins. In Genesis 15, we see once again that God slays animals in half. He walks between the animals in a bloody scene and says... I will be faithful to you as my covenant people. There's covenantal significance that if we, if the blood of Jesus has been applied to our lives, we too are God's covenant people. But we also see a theological significance regarding the presence of God, that in order for God to truly dwell with his people, That there must be the shedding of blood. This was only the beginning. God was coming into the land of Egypt and that blood must be provided as a barrier to the holiness of God amidst their own sinfulness And then we read throughout the rest of of the the first five books of the Old Testament that in order for God to, to dwell among the people, sacrifices had to be given for a holy God to live amidst sinful people. And now because of the blood of Jesus that was shed for us, He can literally dwell within us. Amen. not only were they preserved by this blood of the lamb, they were were sustained by the meat of the lamb. Verse 8, they shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat of any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs. Verse 10, you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Uh, they're to burn it all, verse 11. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. You see, the people were sustained by the meat of the lamb. They were to consume all of it. Verse 8 shows us this is a symbolic meal. specifically mentions three food items. He mentions, first of all, the roasted lamb. You see a picture of a modern day um, roasting of a lamb uh, for Passover. They weren't to boil it, they were to roast it. We see that there was unleavened bread that was involved. We'll read about why later. And then there were bitter herbs that were involved. They were to eat of these bitter herbs reflecting their bitter experience in Egypt. Egypt. Then we jump to verse 11 and we see how they are to eat it. Your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, you shall eat it in haste. Why was this the case? You see, the people were to eat it in eager expectation. They were to eat it in a manner that they were ready for God to deliver at any time. They were being sustained by this meal to leave to Exodus, Egypt. This would be their final meal in the land of Egypt. They were to eat it in haste in the sense that they were watchful, they were alert, they were on guard for God's command through Moses, let's get out of here. The Yahweh has gone through the land of Egypt. They were to be ready. Folks, I wonder if that describes us as God's people. As we know that Jesus has has granted us spiritual deliverance, but are we on watch? Are we on guard? Are we ready for God to act to reveal Himself in this world? They were preserved by the blood of the lamb. They were sustained by the meat of the lamb. And they were preserved as well by God's promise. Verse 12 says, I will pass through the land of Egypt that night. I'll strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on the go- all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. You see, there was first of all a promise of judgment. That God would visit the land and he would strike judgment without partiality. Just as he said all the way back in Exodus 3, verse 20, to Moses in the wilderness It's all happening now. What seemed to take forever is now happening very quickly. And as we've been discussing in the ten plagues, this cosmic battle, we see that God is going to once and for all defeat the gods of Egypt, which the Egyptians worshipped. He does all of this, why? Because I am the Lord. Who can compare to our God? But in the midst of this judgment, there is a promise of salvation. Because verse 13 says, The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Folks, in the midst of God's judgment, what makes the gospel a message of good news is that there is bad news, judgment, but there is good news that God has stepped in and he has provided a way, a a way of salvation in the midst of judgment. You see, folks, we can't get to the good news unless we realize the bad news. That just like, the sign, just like the plagues of Egypt were a sign to Pharaoh that I am the one true God, I am the Lord, like I said, now the blood that the people were applying would be the sign to God. These are my covenant people. These are the people I will preserve. Judgment will not touch them. Because judgment has fallen to a substitute lamb. Do you does that start to sound like maybe it's a message of the gospel? A message of what Jesus has done for his people? You see God has presented we see the glimpse of the gospel That we are given a new beginning, a new perspective. We are now a preserved people because of the perfect Lamb of God, Jesus. And Folks, the third glimpse of the gospel that we see this morning. We're going to start to pick up speed here to to get done. We're going to try to get done with the majority of this series by December, before the Christmas program. We got one left over in January. But this presents us that the, gu- the glimpse of the gospel we see in Exodus 12 is that the gospel has made the way for a prepared people. Not only a people preserved from sal- uh, by salvation in the midst of judgment, but now the gospel calls us to be prepared. Here's where we get into the nitty-gritty that Don read this morning. There's such blessedness for us in this passage. We see in verses 14 to 15, the people were to remove leaven. Leaven, which, which which would be bread that was raised through the yeast. It says, this day shall be for you a memorial day. You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. The first day you remove leaven out of your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. We see in these verses a removal of leaven. See, God says from the very get-go, this day is going to be a day of memorial to you. In other words, this is to so characterize your life that you are not going to forget it. And here, as my people, is what you are going to uh, implement into your lives to enable you not to forget. The Passover is described in three, three words here, a memorial. They're to remember who they were and what God has done. This day is described as a feast. It was a formal commemoration before the Lord of what God has done. They are take, partaking together of this feast as a community. Just like we read on a smaller scale, they were in one another's houses. Here, they are together as a one people. And it was also a statute. In other words, an obligation or a law to keep Verse 15 shows us the necessity that this be kept because this is the very defining moment where, where, where God delivers His people. This was to, to uh, affect every area of their lives. This was not to be forgotten. Verses 16 to 17 show us this is a mindful commemoration. Again, more instruction in verse 16. On the first day, you hold a a holy assembly. On the seventh day, a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days. What everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared for you. Verse 17, you shall observe the feast. For on this day, I brought your host out of the land of Egypt. Observe this day throughout your generations as a statute. Folks, what I want to bring out today from this. This was a mindful, purposeful commemoration. If you want to look at, we don't have time to unpack this, a New Testament equivalent of this, we know it's the Lord's Supper. But we see here a proactiveness that the people in removing all of the leaven from their house, they had to be sure before this week-long festival was celebrated that it was all removed. They were to be purposeful that no work would be done that entire week. And we read of this purposefulness of God's Old Testament saints so that they would remember the gospel of their exodus from Egypt, the good news of that. And we sit here and wonder why we are cold to the gospel when when we do nothing of prioritizing that gospel in our lives. We do nothing of seeking to prepare our hearts to remove the clutter of our lives to be mindful of Him. And then we wonder why the gospel is not taking root and changing our lives. Are we this purposeful in our Christian lives? Sure, we don't celebrate a week-long feast, but the principle that the Old Testament portrays for us, a greater reality through Christ of how we are to respond to what Jesus has done for us, how purposeful are you in keeping at the forefront of your mind the good news of the gospel of our exodus from the slavery of sin? The people were to be careful in this observation. Verses 18 to 20, again, talks about verse 18, when it's to be celebrated. Verse 19, seven days no leaven is to be found. That person will be cut off from the congregation. In other words, this was a really big deal. I wonder if we are living today as if we are cut off from God's people and have no hope. Verse 20, you shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwelling places. You shall eat unleavened bread. This was a careful observation. Do you want to see a New Testament equivalent? Again, 1 Corinthians 5, 6 to 8, dealing with a church in Corinth that was slack and their spiritual watchfulness. They were letting sin run rampant in the church. What does Paul say? Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you are, really are unleavened. For Christ, the Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival Not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. There you have what Exodus 12 is pointing us to. And folks, we don't celebrate a week-long festival. We celebrate the freedom and the graciousness of our saving God every day of our lives. And if we are letting sin run rampant in our hearts, sin run rampant in our families, sin run rampant in our church, then we are not living as God's people. Maybe today you need to go home and remove the leaven. But then that leads us just real quickly to the last glimpse of the gospel, that the gospel not only has preserved the people, the gospel not only calls us to be a prepared people, but we are to respond as a purposeful people. You see, the gospel always provides a call of response. How are we going to respond to the gospel? In verses 21 to 24, Moses, he tells the leaders in verse 21, select the lambs, kill the Passover lamb. Verse 22, to take the hyssop, dip it in the blood, apply it. Because, verse 23, God is coming, He's going to strike the Egyptians, but He will pass over the doors that have the blood. And then in verse 24, this rite is to be a statute for you and your sons forever. We're there to recall this, to celebrate the Passover You see, the the call of response in the gospel is that we hear the gospel message, we respond accordingly, and we make it our own through the work of God in our hearts. The gospel is not good enough for your parent. It's not good enough for your spouse. It has to be your own. Is the blood of Jesus Christ, has it been applied to your own heart? And if it has, are you living out of it? Then the people were to remember Verse 25, God is going to bring them into a new land. And guess what? And we're going to talk about this in future passages. Children will be involved that want to know the meaning of what they, the parents, are doing. Why are we doing this long celebration? And verse 27 gives us the answer that the parents are to give. It is a sacrifice of the Lord's Passover for he passed over the people of Israel in Egypt. He struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. Folks, I wonder how many of our children today, if you have kids still living in the home, I wonder how many of our children are looking to us for spiritual instruction and guidance and we're just simply not giving it to them. I'm not talking about how to be a better kid, how to be a a better adult. I'm not talking about moral lessons. I am talking about the foundation of their faith. Are you, they're looking at us saying, are they living out? If this Jesus is so important, are they living out the reality of what Jesus has done for them? Because if they're not, I'm certainly not. You see the people in verse 28, they respond in obedience. Everything the Lord commanded, they did. Folks, that's an indicator of being bought with the precious blood of Christ. A life out of response to the gospel that is lived in obedience. Are we doing that this morning? Can I ask you this morning, if it is true that only God can rescue and redeem, if it is true that Jesus has, has done a work in your heart, how well are you remembering that work this morning? How has it, has it practically changed your life, the way you structure your week, the way that you look to God in prayer, in dependence, in the midst of difficulty? How has it tangibly affected your everyday life if you claim that that blood of Jesus has been applied to the walls of your heart. Let's pray.